Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together again and turn to Matthew chapter 24, if you would. Matthew chapter 24. And in light of this weekend's activities, I feel compelled to speak about the coming of the true King of Kings. And uh, we have seen a lot of pomp and circumstance over the last couple of days, especially yesterday, and a lot of excitement about the coming and the crowning of King Charles III. But I want to speak to you this morning about the coming of another king, the coming of King Jesus Christ. The New Testament speaks of this event, the second coming of Jesus Christ, more than any other. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The second coming of Jesus Christ is spoken of, prophesied of, eight times to every one time that his first coming is spoken of. Think about that. For every one time the scriptures speak about and prophesy and foretell of the coming of Jesus, it speaks eight times of his second coming. 1,845 times they tell me, I don't know, I didn't do it myself, but they say more than 1,800 times the second coming of Jesus Christ is mentioned in that book that you hold in your hands this morning. In the Old Testament, 17 books out of the Old Testament books speak about the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 23 speak about the second coming of Jesus Seven out of ten chapters, seven out of every ten chapters speak about the second coming of Christ and one out of 25 verses of the New Testament. Now that tells us something, that this event that we call the second coming of Jesus Christ is an extremely important event. It's interesting to me that in today's version of Christianity, there is often very little talk about the return of Jesus Christ. If you thought that the coronation of King Charles III was a big deal, then to say it like an American, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you thought it was a big deal to watch a 70-year-old some odd man parade through the streets of London and be crowned as the new monarch of this land if you thought that that was a big deal you haven't seen anything yet I began over the last week or two to study the topic of the second coming of Christ because of the approaching coronation knowing that I would preach in in London at our coronation service and then also knowing that I would stand here before you the day after King Charles III would be crowned. But because of the sheer volume of times that Christ's return is mentioned, we could not possibly cover it all in one service. So this morning, what I wish to do is to whet your appetite for a personal study on this subject. That you might go home from this place and open up God's word and search for yourself what it talks about. Because if the second coming of Jesus Christ occupies such a prominent place in the scriptures, it should occupy a prominent place in your heart and in your mind. It should. 
you should think about this event more than you think about just about anything else. It's interesting, the more you study the New Testament, the more you begin to realize just how big of a deal this was to the early believers. To the first century Christian, they were challenged more by this doctrine, by this truth, to live a holy life than by any other. This one truth challenged early Christians to walk carefully more than any other truth did. More than the warning of the brevity of life, they were warned by the imminency of Christ's return. Think about that. More than them saying, look, hey, you could breathe your breath at any moment and die. More than that, they were told, you better be ready because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I want to speak of just a few things this morning that deal with his return. I don't know it. This is my problem. Anytime I get started on something, I see the potential of a series. And I jump from one series to the next and never get anything finished. But we could be in a series on the second coming of Christ until he does come. That's how much the scriptures speak of it. And we should, by the way, we should preach and preach and preach that Jesus is coming soon. And I want to draw your attention to just a couple of things this morning concerning his return. Here's the first thing I want to draw your attention to. His coming will be glorious. The coming of Jesus Christ will be glorious. Look at verse number 30 of our text. Tommy read a moment ago in Matthew 24 and verse number 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus Christ comes, it will be glorious. King Charles had quite the entourage yesterday. And it was quite a glorious, as far as earthly things are concerned, it was quite a glorious event. But the coming of Jesus Christ will surpass the glory of any earthly coronation in a way that's incomparable. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I just want to warn you, I have a lot of verses uh, tagged in my own Bible. So you may find your fingers getting tired today and that's okay. Write them down, look at them later on. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians is one of those books that deal so much about the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, in every chapter... We're told in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. We're told to wait for his return. We're told again in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse number 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. Again, in chapter 3, verse 13, to the end that he may, be, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This book in every chapter of 1 Thessalonians speaks about the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. And in chapter 4, we read some very comforting verses 
that are written to comfort the believer who has lost a loved one. Have you lost somebody that you love recently? Well, if they died in Christ, if they were born again and they died, then we understand that they are sleeping. That's what the scriptures say. They're not dead because the believer never dies. Their soul is with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we're told that we shouldn't sorrow as others sorrow who have no hope. Verse number 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. That's twice in 1 Thessalonians that we're told that when Jesus comes, he's going to bring saints with him. Now, Charles had quite the entourage. I don't even know who most of the people were that were marching along with him. Some were military guards and personnel, and some were no doubt classes of royalty. We did recognize uh, William and, and, uh, and Kate and even their son George. We recognize some of the royal family. But when Jesus comes, he'll bring his royal family. And that'll be all the saints of all the ages who've already gone. Imagine that entourage. The scriptures tell us that he'll bring them with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. We're not talking about an earthly monarch who left his earthly home and went to an earthly church that was made by the hands of earthly men and crowned with a crown that was made by the hands of earthly men. We're talking about the king of heaven coming from heaven back to this earth. And when he comes, it will be glorious. Do you remember the disciples were standing and looking up into heaven? They watched Jesus ascend into heaven after Jesus had died, was buried and rose again, spent 40 days on the earth meeting with the disciples and other believers. And before he ascended into heaven, he met with the disciples in Jerusalem and he told them that they would receive power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And then he ascended in verse number 9 of Acts chapter 1. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Meaning the same way Jesus ascended in body, Physically, he will descend one day. He will return. We're told in Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 27, again, we're told the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. Now look here for a moment. I want you to imagine all the glory of the Creator God. All the glory. Such glory that man has never been able to look upon. Jesus is going to come back with all of that glory, all the glory of God the Father, the scriptures say. And the Bible says in verse 27, with his angels. So now we're told that not only will his entourage include his royal family, but it'll also include all the angels of heaven. We watched as soldiers marched 
and the procession yesterday and royalty on the same way but in a much more glorious way Jesus shall return with all his saints and all his angels can you imagine it will be glorious the scriptures tell us he's going to come with clouds I love this thought in the Old Testament book of Daniel chapter number 7 and verse number 13 even the Old Testament prophets saw the second coming of Christ they didn't quite understand all that they were writing about but they saw it and they wrote it in verse 13 of Daniel 7 I saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven there it is again And he came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He's coming in the clouds. Matthew 24, we already read it, but he's coming in the clouds in verse number 30. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Again in verse 26, we're told in verse number 64 that he's going to come in the clouds. Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 7, we're told the very same thing. Just in case you didn't get it the first three times, we're told, Behold, he cometh with clouds. What's that mean? Well, my children were very excited to see the carriage that carried King Charles and Camilla. Uh, They were quite excited to see it. And they said, Daddy, it's gold. The carriage that is carrying the king is gold. The Bible says in Psalm 104, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. One of the boys said, Look, he's got a golden robe or tunic. Everything is gold. The Bible says the Lord Jesus will be clothed with honor and majesty who covers thyself with light. Man has to put on something that can shine as the light reflects upon it. Jesus bears the light himself. He is the light. Who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, watch this, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the water, who maketh the clouds his chariot. And he walketh upon the wings of the wind. The chariot that the Lord Jesus will ride in when he returns will be the chariot of the clouds. Can you imagine? Something that man could never lasso or wrestle or tame. Jesus will come in the clouds. What a glorious coming. Clouds often refer to the deity of Jesus because in the Old Testament, God covered himself with clouds. Do you remember on the mountaintop, Moses went up and God covered himself with clouds. The mountain, the top of the mountain was covered with a cloud. When God descended to the temple into the Holy of Holies, it was by a cloud that God covered himself. And so when Jesus comes back, he'll be declaring he's not just the son of God, but God himself in flesh. And it'll be a glorious return. Not only will his return be glorious, his return will be obvious. Do you know yesterday's coronation is probably one of the most public events in all of human history. People all over the world tuned in their televisions and smartphones and whatever else they could to watch the coronation of an earthly king. Imagine that. A very public event. 
But there were a lot of people who didn't see it. There were people in some parts of the world who've never owned a television, never seen a smartphone, who therefore could not see the crowning of an earthly king. But when Jesus Christ returns, when this king of kings comes, the scriptures tell us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 7, every eye shall see him. Every eye. Now some people say, yes, that we can see that. That'll be because of we've got television and internet and that's... No, no, no. No, no, no. Every eye will see Jesus Christ when he returns without the use of television and internet. Don't you think the God who spoke and created this world is powerful enough to make himself known and seen to every human being on the earth? Believe me, on that day, every unbeliever will be converted to a believer. Now, they won't be born again, but they will be a believer on that day. They will believe that he is real, that he is indeed alive, because they shall see him with their eyes. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 27, As the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also shall the the coming of the Son of Man be. It will be so widely known and seen that every single eye shall see him in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16 we're told this for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout now this is going to be a public event when the Lord Jesus returns it's not going to be something that's hidden public with a shout with the voice of the archangel with a trump of God, I think one of the most stirring things yesterday was the trumpets and all the, the pomp of it all. And, and as they blew the trumpets and the, and the marching bands and all the music and choir, that was quite something, wasn't it? But the trump of God is a trump like no one has ever heard. And the shout, there were men giving orders and commands as the king was drawing nigh. I, I can imagine in my own eye, mind's eye the same kind of a way when a bride approaches the doors of a chapel before a marriage ceremony, ceremony the minister says, All rise with a loud voice. I can imagine in some similar aspect the archangel, this voice from Almighty God in heaven shall sound so strongly and clearly that everybody will know precisely what's happening. And the Bible says it's such a sound at the shout, at the voice of the archangel with the trump of God that even the dead in Christ will sit up. Can you imagine? Such power, such authority. His coming will be glorious. It will be public. But I want you to hear this. Would you look this way for a moment? His coming will be very sudden. And this is the point where it becomes deeply practical to every one of us today. His coming will be very sudden. It will be unexpected to the world, but it should be expected to us. We're told in 1 Thessalonians, turn there with me, I'll give you a moment. Can you hear me okay? Ryan, am I loud and clear back there? My voice is still recovering. 1 Thessalonians 5. Again, this entire letter, in fact, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are letters written to a church 
And they deal preeminently with the return of Christ. If you live your life without thinking about the coming of Jesus Christ, you're living your life wrong. I'm sorry. I don't mean to upset you or offend you. I do. If it, if it makes you change, I do mean to do that. But if you live your life without thinking about the return of Christ, then you aren't living properly. Because 23, did you catch that? 23 out of the 27 New Testament books speak about the return of Jesus. And if you don't think about it, then your thinking's wrong. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now this is very interesting. Paul says it there. Jesus told us the same thing in Matthew chapter 24. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians 4 and look again at Matthew 24 verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What day? The day of His return. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now I want you to think for just a moment. Look here for a moment. The days of Noah. Noah and the sons of Noah and the wives of Noah's sons and Noah's wife, they knew that the floods were coming and they were ready for it. But the rest of the world didn't believe it. Now, can I just warn you? Peter tells us that in the last days, scoffers will come saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is Jesus? In fact, Peter says, even in the church. Because when you look at the context of what Peter's writing, those are so-called believers that are saying that. Did you know that? So-called believers saying, where is the promise of his coming? And they say that. We know that they're so-called believers because they speak about the creation. Scriptures tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. They believed in the, in the fathers of our faith. They believed in the creation of the world. But they didn't believe that Jesus was coming soon. Look here, let me warn you. If you don't believe that Jesus is coming soon, you are living like a scoffer and you are one of the ones that Peter prophesied about. And you better take warning and get yourself right with God. What a dangerous position to be in. Because in the day of Noah, the people of God that walked with God knew judgment was coming, but the rest of the world scoffed. And if you scoff at an imminent return of Christ, then you, my friend, are living outside of the ark. And you need to get right with God. It's a serious thing. Jesus tells us in the same passage of Matthew 24 that as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And that's exactly the way the world is right now. Preoccupied. Preoccupied with entertainment. So distracted by eating and drinking and having a good time and working and, and getting married and all of these things of life are taking the preeminence in your mind. The Bible says they knew not until the flood came. 
And can I tell you, look here, look here. Are you listening? If your mind is not settled and set upon the return of Jesus, if you're not looking for His return and waiting for His return, then when He returns, you will be taken. Not to be with Him. Taken away in His wrath. Just as in the day of Noah. The scriptures say in verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. You don't know. We know the times and seasons. We're told about those. We know the times and the seasons, but we know not the day nor the hour. No man does. But we're told that that day is going to come like a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then shall sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Do you know what concerns me? Do you know what really concerns me? Look here. What concerns me is that for two years, the church of God seemed to have wakened up during the corona nonsense. Everybody seemed to wake up a bit. And everybody seemed to say, oh, what's happening around the world? We're getting closer and closer. But do you know, since all of that has died down, since they have said peace and safety, the church seems to be asleep again. It's very interesting to me. During those days, people were driving more than an hour to come. And they would come to every meeting. There was some sense of urgency. But now that everything's gone back to normal, they come at best one time a week. Isn't that interesting? Oh, during when things were were very touchy and, and we thought we were really close, then everybody got serious about living for God. They wouldn't miss a single meeting. They were coming to prayer meetings and every meeting twice, three times on a Sunday and a Wednesday and this meeting and that. And now that everything's back to normal, I'll come when it's convenient. You'll notice if you come on a Sunday evening, the difference in the number that come on a Sunday evening and those who come on a Sunday morning. You'll notice the difference on a Wednesday evening. We've lost some measure of urgency. We've lost some measure of sensitivity to the times and the things that are happening around us. And if you're not careful, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The coming of Jesus Christ shall be sudden. In Revelation 16 verse 15, Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief. In Matthew 24 and verse number 36, we just mentioned that a moment ago, but he also tells us in verse 42, know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. I want you to look this way. You ought to live your life every single hour like He is coming now. Now. If you don't do that, if you let your guard down and you let yourself get relaxed and comfortable, then you'll find yourself participating in some behavior that you would be ashamed of if He came back and caught you in. I wonder if the Lord Jesus came last night. If he came last night, 
Where would he find you? What would he find you doing? If he returned last night, what would he have found you participating in? You say, well, what's wrong with a, uh, a little bit of entertainment? What's wrong with a little bit of, can't we can have fun, can't we? I believe Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the world, of course. Now, I'm not saying that at all, but you ought to also ask yourself, the behavior that you have right now, is that going to be acceptable if Christ should return and find you in it? Oh, that would help us. But that means, lastly, that if his return is glorious and if it's public and if it's going to be sudden, then his return, his coming, requires some preparation. I want, you, I want you to just think for a moment how much preparation went into yesterday's big affair. How much preparation went into the coronation of King Charles III. I mean, months, years of preparation. I was, we used, we were able to use Westminster Baptist Church to have a gospel meeting in and use as a base for our evangelism over the last few days. And, and they had received numerous letters from the local council warning them of the stages, the procedures that were going to be put in place coming up to the days of the coronation. In fact, I saw at least three different letters. One said the, the, the procedures on May the 2nd and the 3rd, an entire letter. And then uh, the procedures on May, on May the 5th and the 6th. And then a third one, procedures on 7th and 8th. And outlining the streets that would be closed and the parking spaces that would be illegal to park in and all of these things and the times that the streets would be closed and if your car was parked here after this time then you'd be stuck. I mean very careful details preparing for the coming of the king. Now that much detail. Now that's just for the public. Imagine all the other details for the, for the choir that had to practice their songs just perfectly. And that big soloist fellow who sang so beautifully. All the hours of preparation to sing. And the trumpets as they practice for hours. And, and all of the guards who, who practice and made sure their, their clothing was ironed and their shoes were shined. And, and the television programs and cameras and all of those things. How much time, how much money was spent for an hour's ceremony. Now, if that much time and energy and preparation was put for one hour's ceremony, how much more time and preparation should be put into the coming of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? In fact, your whole life ought to be preparation for His return. Everything. Not just your spare time. Everything. This is the way we're told to live. I remind you in that parable in Luke chapter 19, do you remember about the noble man who went away to a far country to receive a, a kingdom for himself and he gave ten talents to, the, to his, his uh, servants? And the scriptures say that the citizens of his land hated him and they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Do you remember that? Well, when he returned, the scriptures say that he called for his enemies. All those, look here, all those who refuse to have Jesus Christ reigning over them are the enemies of the King of Kings. 
I'm just telling you plainly, if you're here this morning and you will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ, if you have not accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, if you do not acknowledge Him as King of kings and Lord of lords, if you will not bow your knee now and confess Him as your Lord now, then when He returns, you will be considered one of His enemies. Therefore, we beseech you, bow the knee now. Get right with Him now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't you wait till Jesus comes back before you bow the knee. It'll be too late. Now. We're told in Philippians chapter 2 that every, not only shall every eye see him, but every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you've not done that now, oh please, make haste. Some people say, well, I'm waiting for a sign. You've been given a whole book of signs. Read them and believe them. Bow the knee. Submit yourself before God. Give your life in service to Him. What more of a sign do you need? We're told Jesus said, this generation shall receive no sign except the same sign that Noah had. Look, You've been given word, his word. Trust him. Jesus Christ died. This is an amazing thought to me. Now we make such a big deal. The world's made such a big deal of King Charles III. And do you know his motto? It's an admirable motto, if he'll actually live by it, was that rather than he's come, rather than to, to be served, to serve. He got that from Jesus Christ, who came not to be served, but to lay down his life a ransom for many. And our king is the greatest king of kings, Jesus Christ. He does not need our tax-paying money. He does not need anything. In fact, he came to die for us. Now, our king's not a tyrant. Jesus is not a tyrant. But if you won't bow the knee to him, you are in subjection right now to the worst tyrant known in all the earth. That's the tyrant of your own flesh. You are your king. And until you acknowledge and confess that you in rebellion have stood in opposition to Christ, and until you bow the knee and say, Lord, I'm done, I'm finished, forgive me. Maybe some of you this morning, that's the first step of preparation to get ready for his return. Bow the knee to Christ. Confess him as Lord. Make sure he is your king so that when he returns, it's a good day for you, not a bad day. And if you've already done that, if he is your Lord, if he is your King, well, then our word of preparation is found in Matthew again, verse 42, watch therefore. Wake up. Open your eyes. Watch. Look around. Get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of the governments of this world. Get your eyes off of making money. We're told in Luke, we're warned about the coming of Christ that many people will get overburdened with the cares of this world, with drunkenness, with giddiness, with being silly. Those three things we're warned about that people will become burdened with before the coming of Christ with being silly, entertainment, Movies and going out with mates to pubs and, and just having a grand old time. We're living in the day and age of entertainment. Be careful. Drunkenness and the cares of this world. Watch, therefore. Wake up. 
And we're told not just to watch and not just to wake up, but we're told to be ready. Do you know you could be awake and not be ready? You could sit here this morning and say, Ooh, you're you're getting pretty serious about this. Jesus is coming. Okay, I'm going to be waiting. But are you ready? And there's so much in the New Testament that talks about getting ready, laboring, taking what God has given you and using it for the glory of God, taking your life and spending it and being spent for the honor and glory of God. We're told over and over again about giving our lives to Christ. Now look, you're running out of time. And I'm not just talking about death. I'm talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. It's beginning to weigh more and more heavy on my own heart and mind. And I'm beginning to ask myself, where am I wasting time? He's coming. And we must live like he's coming. I said this the other day, but a lot of people want to talk about being martyred for Christ and dying for the Lord. What about living for him? What about living for him? You have one chance, one life, and God in His mercy has given us another day today to sharpen up, wake up, get ready. So take some time this afternoon, examine yourselves and see, where am I wasting time and energy and effort? Am I storing up for myself treasures on earth? Or treasures in heaven? What are you doing? This one event. If you think on it, if I think on it, it'll change the way we live. It'll revolutionize the way we live. Because he's coming. And when he comes, it will be glorious. It will be amazing. Every eye shall see him. And it will be so quick and so sudden that you won't have time to get ready. So get ready now. Now. Look. You can walk out of the tent today and do nothing else. You can, you can shake your head. You can say to your wife or your husband, who what he says is right. But if you don't do anything different, I've just wasted my breath. Get ready. Watch. Get ready. And this will speak differently to every person here. Some people need to be saved. Then I urge you today, come to Jesus now. Not tomorrow. Don't wait till you see him. Come now. He's given us his word to warn us to get ready, to get right with him now. And Christian, I don't know what area needs to be changed. You do. You know. So let God help you. He's coming. He's coming. And it will be glorious. Make sure you're ready. Let's pray. Father, we confess unto thee we have wasted so much time. We confess we just don't think like we should think, Lord. We get preoccupied with other things that really don't matter. And I pray we might find ourselves thinking more and more about our coming Savior. We might find ourselves becoming more and more alert, more and more awake more and more diligent we might walk circumspectly carefully Lord we might redeem the time Father I pray if there be people here who are lost I'm sure there are help them to feel and sense the urgency of this hour that they are not we are not guaranteed tomorrow 
Help us to believe and even to tremble at the thought of a coming king. And I pray that if they be lost now, that before this day is up, they will be found, saved, born again. That they might humbly bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord, surrendering their all to him. And Father, I pray for the Christian who's been so distracted by work, so distracted by entertainment, so distracted by life, by the ordinary day-to-day run-of-the-mill, the routine of life. Oh, Lord, shake us, we pray, that we might be ready for the return of our Savior. May we spend and be spent. May we give. Help us, Lord. Whatever life is left in us, may it be given to Thee, surrendered to Thee. Help us, we pray. May it be a glad day in our eyes when Jesus Christ returns. May it not be a day that we dread. May we not be caused to mourn at His return because we've lived so carelessly. But instead, may we be able to rejoice. May we love His appearing. Help us, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.